guys are barrels of fun. I mean, I feel like I, as a person, am 11 and 15 right now. This is section 422. On the Welcome to the Section 422 Podcast. It is Monday, September 21st. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we will discuss a very important turning point in the Brewers' 2020 season and look ahead to their final eight games, which will take place over the next seven days. This time last week, Will, the Brewers were 20-24 and 24 with just 16 games left to play. And today, they're 26-26 and 26 with eight games left to play. They made it back to 500 against all odds, which, frankly, those odds weren't that long the entire time. It just felt like they couldn't do enough offensively to close that gap in time to be in the mix for a playoff spot entering the final week. But here we are. It's going to be a wild, wild week in the NL Central. The Cardinals, uh, the Brewers have series with the Cardinals and the Reds. They'll be facing Cincinnati in Cincinnati first, of course, going to St. Louis for another five-game series after that. So we'll talk about the pitching matchups, how those things all line up. But let's just take a look back at how we got here because it feels like a, a lifetime has passed in the past week for this team. And coming into the week, they had a doubleheader right away on Monday. The Brewers did not have an answer for Kwang Hyun Kim, but they did find a way to win that game in extra innings. And I should say, I like the seven-inning doubleheaders as a way of making up games. Back-to-back nine-inning games, that might just be a thing of the past, by the way. Uh, But despite the fact that Kim pitched really well, seven scoreless innings against the Brewers, they managed to get a couple of runs across and, and win this game in extras. They dropped the nightcap, and it was a situation where they put a lot of their young relievers in very prominent spots. So I think that's what made that particular game really interesting. But you didn't feel good coming out of that doubleheader because they had to scrape by to get that win, and they had nothing really left in the bullpen to get through that second game. No. Um, you know, so this is like the last week of the season, right? And this is the first time I actually feel like I am watching a team that's playing to its capability for the first time all year. And I think it started, what you're kind of getting at is, I think that it kind of started after the Cardinal series. You know, like the Cardinal series, it, it kind of seesawed. It went back and forth. Uh, they split the doubleheaders, but they won that Tuesday night in a big way. Uh, but for me, like the real turning point of the whole of the whole homestand occurred afterward in the on the Friday night game against the Royals in the fourth inning, where Jacob Nottingham hit that grand slam because... I didn't really feel particularly great about the Brewers' chances coming out of that series with the Cardinals. I thought that they were okay. They kind of held serve is the way that Craig Council put it, and he was right. I mean, they didn't fall behind, but they didn't really gain a whole lot at that point. They had just gained really the one game. So you felt okay about it, but I really didn't feel like it was things were starting to turn or things were steadily improving for them as far as their chances, as far as just the probability of them getting into the playoffs, and just really regarding how they looked until that Friday night, and particularly that inning in the fourth inning where Jacob Nottingham hit that grand slam. Yeah, I would agree with you because you know you take three of five from the Cardinals, it's certainly better than the alternatives. It was actually kind of the, the script that I proposed on the show last week, is that they would find a way to win that first series and then sweep the second one, 
and you go six and two over eight games for a week, and that's huge. That's that's the push forward that you really needed. But without that Nottingham home run, the entire series could play out differently over the weekend. I think it was finally that that breakthrough moment that you described, and it's amazing that when you look back, it wasn't another offensive outburst in the form of that 18-run effort that the Brewers put together against the Cardinals. And that was against an ace, too. That was against Jack Flaherty. The Brewers chased one of the best pitchers in the league after three innings. And he'd given up nine runs. He struck out six guys. Very weird line. You get to Jack Flaherty like that and just keep piling on against that Cardinals bullpen, you would think that that's the moment that actually turned it around. But you come back the next day with another doubleheader, Adam Wainwright pitches really well, gets the win in game one. The Brewers have to bounce back and get that win in the nightcap. Uh, it was a convincing win in the nightcap, a 6 nothing shutout, but it just felt like they couldn't get a lot of momentum going. And going back to that Tuesday game for just a moment, the drama there, of course, was the incident at home plate, which sparked the benches and bullpens clearing out. Uh, Ryan Braun hit the hand of Yadier Molina, on a swing, and it seemed like there was at least more than a hint from Cardinals manager Mike Schilt that the Cardinals thought he did that on purpose, which was very strange because, as Braun later said, it's really hard to do that, to actually hit the ball and hit the catcher's hand with a swing the way that he did. Yeah, I don't think that he did that on purpose. Um, I don't know of any player that has ever done that on purpose it's hard enough to do it on accident. I feel like it doesn't really happen a whole lot. I mean, it's assault. <laughs> you just don't you don't see players do that at all. I think the one thing that maybe could have made the Cardinals a little salty about the situation, Braun didn't really look back after he did it, and he didn't tick the glove. He probably had no idea how much he hit Molina, but he got him like right on the back of the hand. Maybe that not looking back and like, hey, sorry, are you okay? Like, I mean, it's Molina's fault as much as anybody else's. His hand is in the bat path. So uh, I, I don't know if we're ever going to know what was actually said on the field. I don't know if any players or coaches are going to reveal the exchanges that occurred, but it was pretty jarring to see both teams sort of nose to nose around a dugout in 2020 when, uh, you know, social distancing is our way of life. Uh, so that was pretty strange. And it just, it was a really ugly moment in the series. And you kept waiting for, a series of events to unfold, a kind of a, a payback, if you will. And I don't know if it necessarily happened. I think some people are wondering if Wednesday night starter, uh, Johan Oviedo, might have been throwing at some of the Brewers. He legitimately has bad command. Did you get the sense from anybody after going through post-game interviews that the Brewers felt like they were being thrown at on Wednesday night? I think in the moment, because the camera on television sort of panned to Craig Council right after Braun got hit and Craig just kind of put his if I remember it right he either just made a discouraged face or put his hand in his face put put his face in his hand um just kind of indicating his disgust of the moment uh but if you look at the pitch I feel like that was not on purpose that that really appeared to be just bad command or just a pitch that got away from him because it's kind of like inside it's kind of I don't know it it just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of intent behind that particular pitch that he threw to to Braun um it wasn't as if it just like nailed him on the number or 
hit him on the leg or so, hit him on the thigh or something like that. I mean, it was kind of up and in, and it, it looked as if he was looking to just get a strike there. Yeah, I think that's the issue. Sometimes you have pitchers with poor command trying to find that high strike. They miss a little inside, and you know, bad stuff can happen, of course, from there. So in both instances where the teams became very frustrated, I didn't think there was actually as much intent or any intent there that they perceived. So fortunately, no one has lasting injuries from all of that. I, I was definitely concerned that someone was going to get hit and it was going to be bad on Wednesday. But the Brewers make it through that series. As you said, the turning point really coming on Friday. Jacob Nottingham has taken over a significant share of the playing time behind the plate. I mean, this is uh, the result of Omar Narvaez still just not really waking up at the plate. Uh, how much of a, of a timeshare do you see for this catcher spot as we move forward? Well, I looked at it a, a couple days ago, and it was 50-50 right after Pena got lost for the year with a meniscus injury. And that didn't really surprise me for a couple of reasons. Omar Nevaez has struggled so much offensively, but also... One is a left-handed bat, one's a right-handed bat. And so they, they have faced a fair amount of uh, different pitchers in that respect. So the matchups kind of dictated it. Also, there's been a lot of day games after night games, that sort of thing. So I'm kind of hesitant to say, like, it's just because Nottingham has played better. But now heading into this final week, I would say that I'd be surprised if the the starts weren't more in Nottingham's favor out of the eight games there's a double header there, so obviously they're not they're going to split that one. But how many games does he play? I mean, th- these are all pretty much what night night games coming up. So I don't know the exact pitcher pitching matchups for the Cardinals, but I'd be surprised if Nottingham isn't getting at least five of those starts out of, out of the eight. Uh, he's played really well. He has like a Chris Hook said this, the pitching coach for the Brewers. He has like this energy about him that's just pretty obvious. I think it comes through really well on television, but in person, it's cool to see because you get to hear it as well. He's he's really animated. He has the right words to say to these guys, I feel like. He just really is, is like a, a ball of energy back there, and he just he's good to hang around with. I just know from my experience in talking with the guy, I, I've always enjoyed just converse, having a conversation with him. He puts you in a good mood. He's just that type of dude. Um and then just defensively, the skills are there. I mean, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, like, throwing aside, like, he, he has thrown out some runners and all that. But what I've been super impressed with is just his ability to really sort of coach up guys, be in the moment with them, know when to go to the mound, know when to take a take a timeout or, or just get things straightened out. His pitch calling has been excellent. I mean, that can go on and on. The pitch framing, I thought he stole a couple of strikes when he needed to recently. So it's it's been impressive, man. And it's cool to see because of the fact that it's been a long road for this guy. And we've talked a lot, Derek, you and I, about who that third catcher was going to be for the Brewers when they needed one. And we kind of thought all along that it would be Nottingham, but we weren't convinced. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a guarantee. So it's just cool to see. And, and if... I mean, he has like that giant swing. So when he connects, it's going to go far. It's just a matter of how many times he's going to connect, I guess. But if he's able to provide a little bit of offense to go along with it, it's going to give them a, give him a more significant jolt here. 
yeah, I mean, I could see a 50-50 split going down this final week and possibly beyond, too. Uh, maybe it is dictated by the handedness of the opposing pitcher. If we're going to look at that, you know, we can kind of look at the projected starters for the upcoming week. But I've been really impressed. And look, Omar Narvaez, for his defensive faults that I've brought up on the show, I think he's had trouble with balls in the dirt. I think he's had trouble throwing out runners. He's also been very good at framing this year based on the baseball savant metrics, kind of in that same upper echelon as Jacob Nottingham, which really I think is a, a mark in the favor of, of Charlie Green and, and the Brewers just for finding a way to get both of these guys doing that so well because that was the biggest thing when Yasmani Grandal left as a free agent. It was kind of a assumption that there was no way they'd get the same kind of defense from anybody behind the plate, especially someone like Narvaez who had such a, a poor multi-year track record defensively. Yeah, you know who also who also deserves some credit there is, is Manny Pena, just because that was a guy in spring training and throughout the workouts in the summer who would really work with both of those guys. I mean, I saw it with my own two eyes, a, a bunch, of just how selfless that guy was as a veteran guy who's been a backup all his life, really, in the major leagues, and he's willing to sort of be teacher in that mode and help out guys who are really taking playing time away from him essentially right um but he's just a, a really good teammate and i think that he deserves some credit too uh obviously charlie green their their um catching instructor their roving catching instructor deserve, deserves a lot of credit it's a good effort on the brewers just their entire staff there's a couple of guys in the mix there that deserve some deserve some acknowledgement as well and i think pena is one of those under unsung heroes in that respect because he definitely went out of his way to help those guys along as well in spring training and in summer camp let's talk about the other games in that weekend series with the royals for a moment we got another gem from corbin burns on saturday night nine strikeouts no walks six scoreless innings just four hits allowed and that was big because the brewers offense really didn't have a lot of answers against uh, the rookie left-hander, Chris Bubich. Like, it was a, a rough night at the plate until the Brewers finally broke that game open against the Royals' bullpen to come away with a 5 nothing win. Uh, as you think about how that game unfolded and you think about some of the, the bullpen usage we saw over the course of the week, this was another spot where Drew Rasmussen was actually uh, up, and it was going to be a one-run lead. It was going to be a really tight save situation for Drew Rasmussen and that four-run inning in the eighth you know, turned that away. Maybe they were going to go to Hayter because Hayter was throwing too. Uh, but it was pretty interesting to see that Rasmussen might be coming up in a really important spot. They have a lot of confidence in Drew Rasmussen right now. They really do, and deservedly so. He's proven himself these last few outings. I mean, you could date back a little bit even before this current homestand where he did what he was told to do, whether that was a little bit of mop-up duty earlier on in the season and then it kind of just they just added to it each time like he didn't get thrown into the mix here you know high leverage spots right away it was show that you could do this show you could do that and then after a while they just continued to sort of add to that pressure and now he's in a spot where he's going to be in one of these games this week where the game is on the line i can almost guarantee you that it may happen more than once i'm sure probably will because he's been that good and We've seen him improve too. I just feel like he's gotten more confident in himself. And you just notice it with his fastball. It's not just, you know, here's 99. It's here's 99 and it's going to go exactly where I want it to go. 
And so there's a lot of intent there for with Drew Rasmussen's pitches. So uh, the slider looked good too recently, but it's really that fastball. And when he's throwing that fastball with a lot of intent like he is right now, it makes their bullpen so good. I mean, because now we're talking Rasmussen, we're talking Devin Williams, Josh Hader, of course, Eric Yardley. And we're not even discussing, like, you know, Brent Suter and Freddie Peralta, who could be called upon in various situations as well. So Rasmussen's an important guy. And I think he's at the point right now where they couldn't have drawn it up any better for him to feel the confidence that he has right right now in the final week of the season with them needing somebody like that to emerge as well. It's just a perfect set of circumstances right now for them. Yeah, I think they've seen enough from Rasmussen to have successfully answered that question about who's going to step up with that David Phelps trade, right? If you're going to contend and you're trade away one of your key links to the ninth inning, you have to have somebody ready to fill in. They have shown they have that somebody, at least someone that they're confident in with Rasmussen, certainly has the stuff. I think the other kind of fun thing about this big weekend that the Brewers put together, it wasn't just the top end of the roster doing the damage. I mean, it was Nottingham, like you mentioned, with the home run. Orlando Arcia had a big night that night. And even though Arcia, as we've settled into this season, has kind of pushed his numbers back into their typical range, he's hitting 245 with a 311 OBP, 374 slugging percentage. He's a bottom third of the order hitter. I think what you see is what you get. Uh, he's been consistent defensively so far this season. I think that's the key for him, at least. If he's going to stick in the lineup every day and, and be a part of the future in Milwaukee, he has to be an above-average and consistent defender at short. And he makes the occasional contribution, right? So if you get that here and there, that's probably enough, at least for the time being, for him to hold off Luis Urias for playing time. I think Luis Urias is their shortstop next year. Um I know we got a full week of games left here, plus a possible playoff run, so who knows how things shake out. But if I was somebody were to ask me about it, I feel like Luis Urias is their shortstop next year. I'm not sure about Orlando Arce's future with this team beyond this year. I don't have any um, reporting to back that up yet, but I just it's just you look at their roster and, and you can kind of see, see how they need to improve at certain positions and if they improve at third base, they could easily easily put Luis Urias at shortstop, and I think that just files accordingly to what they had planned anyway. That said, Arcia has, like you mentioned, Derek, really just done his job this year. I mean, you didn't know exactly what to expect from him heading into this season, and he's delivered in some key moments. He's provided them some critical hits. I feel like he is not somebody that when he's up at the plate in a critical position, he's not somebody that you're saying, oh, wow, it's Orlando Arcia. You know, you feel like maybe he could come through there at this point. At least I do. I, I have a lot more confidence in him um, to at least provide a good at bat. Maybe he doesn't come through in that situation, but he's at least going to give a really strong effort, I feel like. I, I'm confident in that. And maybe I wasn't going to say that, say, two months ago or heading into this year. But now I think that you could confidently say that about him. Um and it's good. I mean, it's good for him because they, they need that um, because he was sliding for a little while, I felt like, up until recently. And you just didn't know about their bottom of the order. But all of a sudden now, the seven, eight, nine, you feel you feel pretty good about it with Lu- Luis Arias still struggling up there at the plate right now. Um, he's their best guy there in that bottom of the order. And if he comes around, you have him. Orlando Arcia and Nottingham batting ninth. It's a it's a pretty good lineup all of a sudden. 
Yeah, for as well as Urias played his first week off the IL, he has been very quiet in the weeks that have followed. The season line uh, now pretty ugly for him. It's uh, 240, 313, 298 line. Hitting the ball on the ground a lot. Still doesn't hit a home run yet this season. And I know like power is not his carrying tool, but he showed a lot of power last year at AAA. He was hitting the ball in the air a lot more last season. That approach seems to have broken down. Granted, we're still talking about a guy who's only had 115 plate appearances this season. I have to wonder, is he still dealing with some lingering effects of that wrist injury that he had way back in March? You know, wrist injuries can often sap power. I wonder if Urias is playing at less than 100%. I mean, when we do see him, he's been great defensively. But I thought we were definitely going to get more with the bat coming into this season. It's possible. He looks so good during that first I don't know, handful of games coming right up from Appleton that I'm hesitant to say it, but that stuff could kind of creep up on you afterward, right? After a certain volume of games, certain volume of at-bats, it may just catch up on you. So maybe. It's hard to say. Like This is the spot right now where, as reporters, we don't really know for sure because we're not in the clubhouse anymore. So it's one thing if we're in the clubhouse, we're seeing somebody like ice their ankle after every single game, and okay, yeah, he's dealing with something. Ben Gamble is another example. Like the guy was dealing with a quad injury really for the last handful, last few weeks, and you know we don't really know because we're not seeing him in the clubhouse. We're not seeing how he's dealing with it. Um, we we see him in a game and. It wasn't until he got held up at, you know, going from first to, uh, it was like, what was he on second base at that in that situation where he didn't score and he just got held up at third base. Then it's like, okay, yeah, he must be dealing with something because Ben Gamble scores on something like that. And then lo and behold, he's on the IL now and he's done for the season. Uh, so it could be possible with Luis Urias to kind of get back to that. It could be possible for any of these guys dealing with it. So I think that your hunch um, there, there may be something to it. There may be something to it. Um, especially because they don't have a whole lot of great options either. If he is dealing with something, it's not as if they can just go to the next guy. Um, he's their best option at third base by pretty much by far, unless they go with what they did on Sunday with Jed Jerko at third and Daniel Vogelback at first. Yeah, Vogelback two home runs in that game, so uh, something happened. I mean, it's probably just a coincidence, of course, but he's been pretty interesting since the Brewers claimed him because he's been able to get his season back on track. Again, we talked about it when they brought him in. Big first half last year, poor second half, ended up getting DFA'd twice now this season, once by Seattle, once by Toronto. Maybe he's found a home in Milwaukee. Maybe he actually is here in 2021, at least, as part of the mix. Maybe the universal DH has to come back for that to really get locked in, even though he did play first base as you mentioned on Sunday, but I think the thing that has really stuck with me, and I sent you a message about this, and you wrote a story about it for The Athletic, is you know he's been going the other way so much more than you'd expect a lumbering, left-handed hitting DH type to go. Like You just think those guys are always going to pull the ball as much as they can to get to that power, but I've been genuinely impressed by his approach pretty much from day one since he arrived in Milwaukee. Same here. I I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't all that in tune to Daniel Vogelback's skill set or what his approach is at the plate. I didn't really even know like how good he was at distinguishing balls and strikes, being patient, waiting for his pitch. Didn't really have a whole lot of info on him because you know he just played on the Mariners. I don't really watch a whole lot of Seattle baseball. Uh, you know, it's just not you know it's not what I'm tuning into. Uh, especially especially the last couple of years, <laughs> not really watching them 
with a lot of intensity there. Uh, Come on, so, Will. Like what? You're letting us all down. I know. I, I kind of had to brush up on my Mariners stuff. Um, but no, nah, man, he's been fu- he's been super fun to watch because he just like pokes it to like left field. Sometimes he slaps it the other way. It's it's really cool, and I, I just I look at him and I don't I don't know how long he will be with the Brewers, but for a team that really tried to figure out who their left-handed power bat would be in certain situations. First, it was going to be Logan Morrison, and then they didn't really have an answer for it after they they let him go. They always wanted one because otherwise Logan Morrison wouldn't have been on the roster in the first place. So in some respect, Daniel Vogelback is fulfilling a role that they always coveted and pretty much always needed too because he gives a lot of balance now to that lineup, makes them, the way that he's hitting at least, makes them pretty pretty good against right-handed against right-handed pitching so i think he's provided them a lot um and i i don't know if uh what's he at right now like something like crazy like 65 percent hard hit (laughs) that's not exactly sustainable but uh but there's only one week left so same thing i said with jed jerko a couple of weeks ago when he got inserted into that first base position if you tell me daniel vogelback is going to continue to have a nice couple of days or you know three or four nice productive days sure you know i mean that's not unbelievable at this point anything's possible especially in a shortened season uh, but i think they've at least found something to help in the middle of the order and they've kind of found an upgrade over justin smoke that wasn't necessarily obvious at the time but it certainly played out as an upgrade over the last couple of weeks we are going to take a look ahead at uh, the next couple of matchups in just a moment first couple words from our sponsors Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually it just gets brushed off or it's avoided with excuses. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is easy. Just go to roman.com slash brewers and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash brewers today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash brewers. Getroman.com slash brewers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Will, let's talk about the upcoming week. Three in Cincinnati to kick things off, and then five more in St. Louis to close it out. There is a huge range of outcomes for this week. The Brewers could miss the playoffs by a handful of games. They could make the playoffs by a handful of games. They could squeak in on the very last day. Obviously, that last uh, possible path I described is one of the more likely outcomes. It's probably going to come down to the final days because the two teams, they're vying for second place in the NL Central with are the teams they're going to play throughout the week. They're also right there in the thick of the wild card race as well. So if you take a look at these pitching matchups, 
in Cincinnati to get the week started. It should be Brandon Woodruff against Luis Castillo, Brett Anderson against Sonny Gray, and Adrian Hauser against Trevor Bauer. I think this is another situation. Every time you look at the Reds pitching matchups, the Reds generally have the leg up in that regard. So I think if you had to look at those matchups and say who has the edge, it's Cincinnati, at least on paper. No debate here. (laughs) Not at all. The only thing I'll add, though, is that with Bauer, the the Brewers kind of, I don't want to say they got to him, but they put up, what, four runs against him? And that hasn't happened from any other team, right? So I, I feel like... I think that they're in a good space when they are going in against this group. They played well against the Reds, I felt like, earlier in the year at certain points of their games. And I'm just looking forward to some really good baseball between both teams because it's unique in the sense that these are two teams that have underachieved all year and they both have gotten hot and they both have played their best baseball right at the exact same time. So I expect some low-scoring games. I don't think that either offense will sort of pounce on either of these pitching matchups, even though uh, the Brewers were throwing out Brett Anderson and Adrian Hauser in those last two games. I, I still feel like I think they're getting enough out of Brett Anderson these days where I feel confident that he's going to give them maybe five or six solid innings. Maybe he gives up three runs or so, but... That's kind of what you signed up for with Brett Anderson. And an Adrian Hauser, man, I just I just don't know what to think. Um, I, I feel like if that's – clearly that's the one pitching matchup where if a team were to sort of jump on the starter, it would be him. We've seen that. We saw that just the other day with the Royals in the first inning. They pounced on him a little bit. Uh, he left some pitches up in the zone, and they really hit the ball hard against him in that first inning. So he's the one guy out of this whole – series that it could really come down to can he get a bounce back performance and how long will the leash be on him anyway and I think some of that depends on where they are with their bullpen but they should be in a good spot with Woodruff pitching on Monday uh, they didn't really have to use a whole lot of guys or, or tax a whole lot of guys over the weekend and then Brett Anderson on Tuesday should should again deliver should again provide five or six innings in theory so It'll be interesting to see just where, how long they go with Hauser. Um, I had asked Craig Council earlier in the week if he had any thought of skipping him, but he kind of gave the answer that I anticipated because there's no days off. You can't really do a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of flexibility there. But I think that if maybe there was a day or two, then the answer may have been different. But instead, here we are. Adrian Hauser will pitch that game, and they're going to need a pretty solid performance from him. I think the key for this series against Cincinnati is taking quality at bats. And even if you're not necessarily doing a lot of damage against Cincinnati starters, getting them out in the fifth inning or possibly the sixth inning at the latest, and at least getting into that Reds bullpen gives you a path. Getting a couple of at bats against uh, the league's 22nd ranked bullpen in terms of ERA, that's your best path to getting some wins in Cincinnati. Uh, for the Brewers, you know, just not overtaxing their own bullpen is going to be critically important since you have eight games in the span of seven days with those uh, with the Cardinals looming with the four-game series plus the doubleheader tacked on on top of it, of course. So uh, I do think that's the best way to get at Cincinnati through the bullpen. For the Cardinals series, 
it's written in pencil, of course, because it's further away. As of now, Corbin Burns goes up against Kwang Young Kim in that opener. That's on Thursday night. The doubleheader, Josh Lindblom probably pitches one of those two games. He's pitched really well his last two times out, which is an encouraging development for the Brewers as well. Again, getting some contributions from players who weren't offering much previously. Uh, maybe we see Suter, probably some kind of bullpen game for the second one, and then we go back to Woodruff on Saturday. Anderson lined up to go again on Sunday. Uh, we'd see Jack Flaherty probably in that doubleheader. Daniel Ponce de Leon had a lot of strikeouts against the Brewers when he pitched against them in that series last week. He'd probably go in one of those doubleheader matchups as well. Wainwright goes on Saturday, maybe Austin Gomber, and a bullpen game for them on Sunday. So I look at those matchups, I feel better about those pitching matchups as a whole. I, I think even though Quang Young Kim pitched really well against the Brewers last time out, Corbin Burns against anybody? Sure, why not? I'm not worried about that. Jack Flaherty, obviously, is an ace. I think he bounces back after that disappointing start last time out, so that could be a tough spot as well. But I think we're looking at another five-game series where if the Brewers take three of five, that's probably enough to do what they need to do so long as they don't get swept in Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that's the only outcome that really makes you a little bit weary about their chances if they get swept in Cincinnati. Because even if they just win that one game, it's certainly not ideal. They certainly don't do themselves much favors there, but... Those five games against the Cardinals are going to loom large, and it's going to dictate whether or not they make the playoffs, if that's the case. I mean, if they sweep the Reds, then that's the other side of it too, right? Where all of a sudden, like, okay, now they could uh, they provide themselves some breathing room, some, some margin for error against the Cardinals. I don't necessarily see a sweep in the cards for the Brewers in Cincinnati, but it's possible. I mean, they're playing really well, um, so we'll see. But if, it, if it's my guess, I, I feel like they either – win one or two against the Reds, probably, I would probably suggest maybe one. Um, but they go into, they go into uh, St. Louis and, and they win that series and somehow they get into the playoffs. And I think next week we have an interesting conversation between ourselves <laughs> uh, either way, right? Yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun week, a lot of good matchups. And I think if you're a Brewers fan, you just became a Royals fan for the next three days. It's uh, the Royals taking on the Cardinals to begin the week. So if you're looking for help, it's got to come from the team that the Brewers just swept at Miller Park as this uh, week gets underway. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to get that subscription to The Athletic. It's just $1 a month at theathletic.com slash 422. That gets you all of Will's great articles about the Brewers, all of our league-wide baseball coverage. And if you like other sports, maybe you're a Packer fan, you want some of the best Packer coverage around, you can get that included with the subscription as well. If you got questions for us for a future episode, send those our way via Twitter. And of course, if you're enjoying this show on a platform like Apple Podcasts, where you could leave a rating and review, please take a moment to do that. If you're enjoying the show, we greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Enjoy the games this week. We're back with you next Monday from Section 422.